Well, this morning we're continuing on in the book of John. We'll be in John chapter 2. Is anybody in here a twin? Anybody? Any, oh, you're twin? Okay, good. Oh, yeah, you guys are twin. You're twin over there. We got any, oh, we, we got a lot of twins in here. Identical twins? We got any identical twins? Oh, yeah, I know you guys. Uh, yeah. You know, now let me ask you a question, Camille. Did your parents make you wear the same clothes all the time? Yeah? Yeah. And until how old? Like until you're like, what, 20? You're not even 20 yet. So, so uh, like how long did the same, dressing up the same last? Second grade. Do you guys, you parents with twins, do you realize how hard that makes it for the rest of us? You should make your kids wear name tags. Forget to dress them about the same. We've got, we've got kids in the, in the academy that they're twins. It's hard, isn't it? Twins, sometimes it's, it's hard. You can't tell them apart. You know, we, I, I grew up with, with uh, some twins in my elementary school. Uh, we, we had, actually, we had kids in my, my church. Uh, their parents dressed them the same until eighth grade. And I'm sure that after about third grade, it was a fight. But every single day, they dressed them the same. And I'm, I, it just, it makes it hard. Twins, they look so much the same. But how many of you know that twins, uh, even though they might look the same, can be very, very different? Be very, very different. You know, their fingerprints, they, they don't match. They don't match at all. Their personalities don't match. And any of you that ha- have had multiple kids, uh, you can understand this. I am very different than my older brother, and I'm very different than my younger sister. And they're not like each other either. And it's, it's amazing how you can have two or three kids, uh, and all of them come out different. You love them the same. Now, you love them differently, but you love them all equally, right? You love them all equally, but you love them differently, don't you? Because they all have unique personalities. And it's amazing how somebody can go through the exact same experience, the same environments, and the same uh, raising up, the same teachings, and come out totally different. That's amazing, isn't it? It's just, it's, and that's really what we're seeing today as we look in the book of John. We're, we're going to actually cover this section of, of Scripture twice uh, because today I wanted to talk about um, John. We're going to look at John chapter 2 and to, verse, to chapter 3, verse 10. And we're going to start in 13, to chapter 2, uh, verse 13, all the way through to uh, 10. I'm sorry, my tongue's not working right now. There, it's on the screen. That's where we're going. That's what we're doing. That's why I write things down, because sometimes my mouth fails me. And so uh, John chapter 2, verse 13 uh, through 310 is where we're going to be today. And I've titled this message, I don't title a lot of messages, uh, but this message is the tale of two Pharisees. The tale of two Pharisees. So, you know, this, this first part, we're really familiar with it. Let me, let me read it to you. Starting in verse 13, chapter 2, verse 13, it says, When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people settling, uh, selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at the tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all of them from the temples, both sheep and and cattle, he scattered the coins and drove them from the temple courts, both sheep out of the money changers, and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get at these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Now let's pause right here. This is a great image of Jesus, isn't it? Uh, with a whip. Yeah, and with a whip and cord flipping over tables, running people out. And here's, here's a, sometimes this verse is, mis, this, this section of scriptures misinterpreted. And so I want to make sure we understand what's happening here. It's not that they were selling things in the temple courts. The things they were selling were required for the sacrifice. 
It was required for sacrifice. It's the fact that they were making money. They were, they were charging extra money for it. They were, they were holding these people hostage, essentially. People coming to, the church, coming to church, having to uh, make atonement for their sin, through per- and they purchased these things to sacrifice them. And the money changers and the, the, the sheep, the cattle, the dove, they were, they, were, they were charging an exorbitant cost in order to make money off of other people's repentance. That's a bad thing. It actually reminds me of uh, one of my favorite stories from church history. You know, the, uh, the Catholic Church used to sell what is called indulgences. Uh, and you could, you could essentially have your sins forgiven uh, by buying it. And then they, 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 they had a season where they had something that was called a plenary indulgence. And that's where you would purchase uh, future forgiveness. And so you would buy an indulgence for a sin you hadn't done yet. It was called a plenary indulgence. And there was a, there was a, a bishop in medieval times, or sorry, a duke in medieval times that bought plenary indulgences and then he robbed the bishop of the money. But his sin was forgiven because he had already bought the indulgence. And so he was good, right? And so how many of you know it's bad to try and make money off of other people repenting? And that's what upset Jesus so much, is that they were, they were treating this like an exchange of goods and services as opposed to an act of repentance and holiness. And so Jesus, that's why he was so upset, is that he got into the temple and he's flipping over tables because these were, they were trying to take advantage of those that were repenting and genuinely coming before Jesus or coming, coming before the temple. And so when Jesus flips over the tables and his disciples remember that it's written, zeal for your house will consume me, then the Jews, the Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he spoke of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. You know, I want to pause right here. you notice that um, Jesus, Jesus isn't scared of questions. Questions do not scare Jesus. They asked him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority? A lot of times we, we get in that same place. We ask Jesus questions. And I want to tell you this morning, there's nothing wrong with asking Jesus questions. Now, the position that they asked questions from, it wasn't the right position. It wasn't the right place. They didn't do it with the right heart. They didn't do it with the right intent. They did it of, uh, you know, what you got going on here, man, right? It wasn't, it wasn't with the right focus. Questions don't scare Jesus. Questions don't scare Jesus. I don't know if you've ever, uh, you've ever experienced this. You know, I, I've been in church my whole life. I grew up in church. And um, sometimes, you know, kids, kids ask questions. They ask why. Don't you? You ask why, and you read, you read certain stories in the Bible, and you say, why did that happen, or why did this happen? You know, the worst thing you can do is try and make something up. Well, that's just how God is. Or maybe, we, well, sometimes it's okay to say, you know, I'm not sure. I don't understand either. 
Asking questions isn't a bad thing. But the reality is not all of our questions are going to get answered. You know, if you look throughout the scripture, Jesus is really good. Um, People ask him questions all the time, and he's really good at not answering them. I mean, the frequency with which Jesus is asked questions, and then, like, he'll draw something in the ground or something. It's just, it, it didn't give him an answer, did he? Our faith in God is not dependent upon us receiving answers to every question that we have. Can we have questions? Sure. Absolutely. Are we always going to get answers? No. No. So questions do not scare Jesus. Uh, Just be ready for when he does answer. Just be ready. They didn't like his answer, did he? Did they? The temple's going to be destroyed, but three days later, it's going to be raised up. It confused them because they didn't understand it. They didn't understand it. But what I love in this passage of Scripture, in this section of Scripture, is that we see a contrast. In that cleansing of the temple, we see a contrast to the next portion of Scripture in chapter 3. Now, here's the interesting thing about John. If you remember, we shared a few weeks ago that the book of John is written uh, to help clarify and and define the divinity of Jesus. It's Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God. That was part of the purpose of the book of John. John is not necessarily written in chronological order. It's not necessarily a timeline of what happened. John writes by theme. John writes in in a thematic uh, manner. And so when you look at this next section of Scripture, when Nicodemus comes, uh, we're not actually certain if this immediately followed that issue in the temple, or whether it was later on in life. Because Jesus didn't minister in Jerusalem often. Uh, And actually, there's actually some speculation that this conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus happened uh, in the Passion Week, just before he was was crucified. And so there could be a big split between these two, but it's a great example of the differences when people come to Jesus asking questions. Questions. You know, the people that were asking Jesus the question of what authority do you have, they were, they were Pharisees. And Pharisees were religious leaders. They, they, they really didn't like Jesus. And Jesus really gave them a hard time, didn't he? Because they should have known more. And here we have Nicodemus. Nicodemus coming to Jesus. Chapter 3, it says, Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Verily I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And you do not understand these things? So Jesus, really, in verse 2, chapter 3, verse 2, Nicodemus came, and it's kind of like that unasked question. He, he's asking a question here. He said, yeah, Rabbi, 
We know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God is not with them. But here's what he's going. He's really asking, who are you and why are you doing this? That's what he's asking. He's asking questions. And Jesus gave him an answer. The Pharisees before, what'd they say? They said, what sign can you give us that shows us you have the authority to do this? Now, Jesus had already performed miracles. We, we, we saw that at the beginning. We know from the different studies that this, this scene in the temple, when he clears the temple courts, he had already performed miracles. And the Jews that confronted him in the temple said, who are you? What authority do you have to do this? Nicodemus comes differently, doesn't he? We've seen signs. We've seen miracles. We know that you've come from Jesus. And what, what's going on? I want you to see the Pharisees and Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He had the same training as those in the temple that confronted Jesus. They were the same religion. They had the same belief but they had a different perspective. They had a different perspective. And the reality is, we can have that same challenge today. You grow up with somebody, go to the same school, go to the same church, play on the same little league team, and you end up with an entirely different view on the world. And that was a hard thing. And we see here, we see here something very important that we have to remember. It's the differences between the two. We see what we want to see. Nicodemus was looking for what God was doing. The other Pharisees were looking for Jesus to prove himself. They were challenging Jesus. Whereas Nicodemus saw that God was working. And he was moved by it. You contrast the events. You know, it was really those that Jesus came in and said, hey. I mean, Jesus really came in and said, guys, the party's over. This is not how you're supposed to do it. This is not right. This is not correct. And they came to Jesus and said, man, you're ruining it for us. And why do you think you can do that? Why do you think you have that right? And if the speculation is right that Nicodemus came towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, how much did Jesus give the Pharisees a hard time? Man, at every turn. And Nicodemus was part of the ruling council. But he was still coming to Jesus for answers. You know... We can look at it oftentimes and say, man, what are you going to prove to me? Why are you trying to ruin my fun? Or we can look at Jesus and say, what do you have for me? What can I get from you? What can I receive from you? Same, same training, same religion, different perspective, and a different response. See, when the first set came to him and asked them, what authority you have, Jesus knew the intent of their questions. Jesus knew what they were asking. 
Jesus knew why they were asking. Jesus was, they were asking Jesus that question so that they could continue to do what they were trying to do. And they were wanting to catch Jesus and prove him wrong. But did Jesus give them an answer that was satisfactory to them? No, no. And really, here's, here's the thing. This is, this is so important. Jesus gives a great example here for us. Because in this world, we have a whole lot of people that want to argue with us about stuff. Don't they? Man, if, if they, if, if, if they, they want to argue about the littlest things. The sky is blue. Well, you know, really, it's more cerulean. I don't even know what that is. But they're going to argue with you about it, isn't it? We, you know, I was, at a, I was on staff at a church up in uh, Minnesota, and we had a, we're, we're part of Royal Rangers. Um, I, I've been in, there's a, a division of Royal Rangers called Frontiers, Frontiersman Camping Fellowship, and they, they do pre-1840 style camping. Uh, and so it's, you know, it's a fun little thing. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a good time. You do all that. But um, one of the things is that the, um, the part of the initiation process, part of being in it, is that um, they give themselves nicknames. So like my cousin, Tony, uh, one time at a, um, at a camp out, he, middle of the night, it was like 20 degrees outside, and he screams out, my feet are cold. And so his nickname from then on was Cold Feet. Um, nothing like calling my cousin. He's six foot five. He was, he was six foot five at 13 years old. So uh, yeah, he's a big, big kid, right? Well, at my church in Minnesota, we had a, we had a young man um, that anytime you would say something, he would follow it up with, well, actually, and then give you just a little, little, you ever, you ever know somebody like that? So his, his nickname became Young Clarifier. Um, because, you know, you, you could say, you know, this is, this is what, it's blue. Well, actually, that's more of a, Jesus knew the intent of their questions. You can ask Jesus questions. Questions do not scare Jesus. But Jesus uh, gave us some pretty wise words in the book of Matthew. In the book of Matthew, chapter 7, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Jesus knew what the Pharisees were doing. They're trying to trick them. And my encouragement to you this morning, we can have questions for Jesus, but we also have to respond to questions like Jesus. Jesus could have shown them the most amazing divine sign on the face of the planet, but what'd he do? He ignored their question, really. And that's what we have to learn to do. In this world, people are going to do everything they can to discredit you as a Christian. They're going to do everything they can to discredit the church. What we have to do, stay humble. Stay humble. Jesus could have brought himself down off that cross at any moment in time that he wanted to. But what did he do? He took it. Sometimes we feel like we have to fight for the church, that we have to fight for Jesus, that we have to fight to prove that we're right and righteous. Guess what? You don't. You don't. You do more damage to our testimony when we engage in those arguments. That's why Jesus tells us to you know, avoid frivolous talk and pointless arguments. Don't do it. Jesus gave a great example. Stay humble. The other thing is, this, this is so hard. Don't take the bait. Don't take the bait. 
Isn't it hard to let things go? It is. But sometimes, sometimes all you can say is, I'll pray for you. And they'll, listen, people will attack you. They'll try and get you riled up. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get Jesus to discredit himself. But did he? No. No, Jesus didn't do it at all. Jesus didn't take the bait. And the reason he didn't is because he understood that if we take the bait, if we take the bait, we're just opening ourselves up to attack. What do you say in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 38? It says, you have heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. See, Christianity is at its most powerful when we live countercultural to how people expect us to live. We don't have to fight. Nobody, and I mean nobody, has won a Facebook debate. Nope. Nope. My favorite button on Facebook is unfollow. Nobody has won an argument on Facebook. Nobody. You probably haven't won a whole lot of arguments in general because it just divides us more. Jesus could have very easily answered their questions with a sign. But rather, what did he do? He revealed who he was. Humble and willing to let offenses go. See, I, it's hard for me. I have a, what you would call the very high justice orientation. And so I will argue with somebody just for the point. Right? I might not necessarily agree with the point. I might just disagree with somebody to disagree with them at times. I try not to be that uh, often because it's, I mean, it's just not good to do that. But when you have a high justice orientation, you can try and right every wrong. But is it my job to right every wrong? No. Who brings justice? Jesus. Jesus is going to bring justice. He's going to bring justice, and he's going to do something that none of us can do. And that's why it's so important, really, to remember in the tale of these two Pharisees that, first of all, we can ask questions. Just, you got to be ready for God's answers, Jesus' answers. And if we come, understand, you need to come with the right spirit and the right heart. If you want to answer your questions, come with the right intent. That's where Jesus shows us the correct example of how to respond to incorrect questions. Nicodemus shows us how to ask right questions. Nicodemus came uh, with such a great attitude. And it's again in Matthew 7, chapter, chapter 7, verse 7, that we see Nicodemus represented. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. What did Nicodemus do? Nicodemus stayed humble. He was a religious leader. He was part of the ruling council of of the Pharisees. But he humbly came to Jesus and asked a question. 
But he did something very important for us to keep in mind. It's laid out there in Matthew 7, 7. What do we need to do? Ask. Seek. Knock. See, the first set of Pharisees that we see in, Acts, in John 2, they had it all figured out. They knew how it worked. They had all the answers. They knew exactly what they needed to do in order to be justified before God, and Jesus messed up their system. Nicodemus, on the other hand, knew that Jesus came from God and did not understand why, and so he humbly came before Jesus and said, what is going on? You have to stay humble. We have to ask. We have to seek God continually. And we have to knock. But see, in order to do that, we have to be hungry for more of God. We can't think that we've got it figured out. What we're doing today may not be sufficient to get us further into the throne room of God tomorrow. The difference between these two sets of Pharisees is its very easy here. It's show me what you got. Versus what can I receive? What can I receive? The first Pharisees, they came to Jesus and said, prove yourself to me. Nicodemus came humbly and said, what can I receive from you? And Jesus was still a little harsh with him, wasn't he? But see, questions don't scare Jesus. He wants us to continue to grow in our faith. He wants us to continue to press in. But we have to remain hungry and humble. Humble enough to say, I don't have it all figured out. Humble enough to say, I need more of Jesus in my life. Humble enough to say, I know there's something more. And you may have a wonderful, beautiful relationship with Jesus, but there's more for you. Jesus is never done with you. Jesus always has something more for you. And when we look at these two different sets of Pharisees, the ones that challenge Jesus versus the ones that humbly come to Jesus, they were both religious people. But the difference between them was the humility and willingness to come to Jesus seeking more. And my challenge to you this morning is this. Do you continue to seek Jesus for more? Do you continue to seek Jesus for transformation in your life? Do you continue to grow in the fruit of the Spirit? On Wednesday nights, we're going through this, the, a, a series called The Life You've Always Wanted. And in this series, um, the true measure of a spiritual life is this. It's not how many hours you spend praying. It's not how many pages of the Bible you read a day. It's not even how much money you give to the church. It is this. Is my love for God and my love for people growing? Are you growing in your love for God? Are you growing in your love for people? Are you still seeking Jesus? 
or do you have enough? In order to get more of Jesus, what do you have to do? You need to have less of you. You need to have less of the world. Let us have the heart of Nicodemus that comes seeking more of Jesus. And it might be hard, and it might be painful to make more space because we get so comfortable in how we do stuff. But here's the beautiful thing. We have the opportunity. We have the opportunity. And this morning, that's my encouragement to you. Make more space for Jesus. Be like, be like Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a Pharisee, a religious leader. We don't often think of Pharisees in positive terms, do we? But Nicodemus gave us an example of somebody that asked. They sought out Jesus and they knocked. That's what we all have to do. Amen? Amen. Stand with me this morning.